Once again, I would like to reiterate that this podcast is not intended to be an extremely elaborate or detailed account on any of the events that I cover over the course of the podcast. It is only intended to be a crash course on the events that took place. If you would like to find more detail, feel free to research anything I'd talk about yourself. I do encourage it. Enjoy. Welcome again to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I'm Tanner, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened as per usual. This is chapter four of the quarantine chapters. I've We've now been in quarantine for a little over a week, about a week and a half, and uh, things are not going to be looking up anytime soon. In fact, it's probably going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. <clears throat> one county in my state has just ordered a complete lockdown of the county. No one is allowed in or out except for essential personnel. Um... And it looks like the rest of the state is going to follow suit. 19 states have already ordered lockdowns of the entire state. And it's I'm, I'm imagining our state is going to follow suit pretty quickly because three states nearby have already done so. So in the meantime, I'm here and I'm really enjoying re- re- uh, releasing several episodes every single week. And I'm going to continue to do so. So today... We are going to be talking about Mohenjo-Daro, which is a, an ancient city in the country of Pakistan, uh, in the region of Punjab. And this settlement offers a lot of clues to our origins as a human species, not necessarily uh, in terms of our development as uh, physical beings, but our development as a society and as a civilization, where we came from. The Mohenjo-Daro is a... The Mohenjo-Daro was part of the Indus River Valley civilization, one of the oldest civilizations in human history, and it offers so many clues into where we came from, and I'm so excited to talk about this, so let's get into it before I get rambling for too long. So, Mohenjo-Daro... To understand the significance of the Mohenjo-Daro discovery, we have got to go all the way back to the year 1829 in the Pakistani province of Punjab, shortly before its annexation into the British Empire. Punjab is a region in northern India and Pakistan, traversed by the Indus River and the many tributaries that feed into that river. It's a fertile plain, meaning that you could grow crops essentially anywhere on the plain and they would grow with no problem. Most of that's because there's so many tributaries winding their way through the region. So, um, it's obvious why the British Raj in India thought it was best to acquire the land for themselves at some point. And during the initial exploration of the region by British explorers traveling along the Indus River, several sites of ancient ruins were discovered, though many had been disturbed and looted by locals over the centuries. And this collection of ancient sites set the stage for the discovery of what we now know as the Indus Valley uh, Civilization, which rose in the 4th millennium BC and declined in the 2nd millennium BC, a long time ago. Though conscientious explorers took copious notes and made fascinating illustrations of the sites that they discovered, attempting to convince the East India Trading Company, which basically dominated the world in trade at the time, they were all essentially a country unto themselves. They, they really answered to almost no governance whatsoever. 
So uh, these explorers tried to convince the East India Trading Company of the histor historical importance of these sites, but the sites were routinely raided by merchants to sell the illustrious artifacts on the black market. And consequentially, much of the knowledge that we could have had about how these civilizations worked was lost with these raids. Several expeditions were made to these sites in the decades that followed the discovery. Once the East India Trading Company was dissolved and several artifacts were preserved deep in the sand that were uncovered. But in the early 20th century, word reached the British crown of a largely undisturbed site further south on the Indus River in modern-day Pakistan. Now, originally, this, sign, this site was thought to be a Buddhist stupa, which is a meditation chamber used by the Buddhists, thought to have originated in the 2nd or 3rd century AD due to a central dome-shaped structure on top of a large mound. But upon closer inspection, the British explorers found something much more remarkable. It seemed that beneath the earth leading to the summit of the mound, stones shaped like bricks had been organized in patterns resembling that of houses and even streets. There was something more here. So, archaeological excavations began in 1924 and would continue as late as the 1980s, uncovering a vast metropolis of earth and stone teeming with artifacts from an ancient age. By the year 2000, archaeologists claimed that the settlement had sprawled across 250 acres, or about 150 adult soccer fields. And in this area, archaeologists uncovered an, a number of naturally occurring mounds surrounding one large mound at the center of the complex. Thus coined the name Mohenjo-Daro, which means the Mound of the Dead Men. At this point, archaeologists still could really only speculate how old such a settlement was and how long it had been around, but once they started digging into these mounds, most of their speculations of any time in the common era were dispelled. And the mounds were naturally occurring, meaning they were made of dirt and sand blown across the plain piling up without human assistance, but there was a reason they were piled in the formation they were found in. Inside each of these mounds were levels of human dwellings, eroded but easily recognizable. Further examination revealed that these dwellings were raised because they had been built and rebuilt time and time again with multiple foundations beneath various building projects. And that paired with the naturally occurring deposits of dirt that could only have accumulated over hundreds of years provided evidence that the civilization lasted for at least several hundred years. At the center of the settlement was a large mound, which initially hinted to the archaeologists that there was some religious significance to it, as it bore some resemblance to the pyramids of Giza and Teotihuacan, both landmarks of extremely religious civilizations. But as the tallest mound was excavated, no vast murals of religious deity were found, nor statues of or carvings of gods or goddesses. There didn't seem to be any obvious sign of religious worship in the largest building in the settlement, as is customary with most other ancient cities. This set the civilization apart from any others that bore resemblance to it. As archaeologists continued digging, they unearthed a complex road system that formed a grid interlocking rectangular structures which suggested the settlement was developed under the watchful eyes of city planners. This was not a product of random nomads joining together to create an impromptu civilization, but a calculated move by the Indus Valley civilization to create a population center on a fertile plain. Infrastructure was complete with sophisticated drainage systems and wells using circular brick formations to reach deep into the earth. 
The residents of Mohenjo-Daro likely relied on annual rainfall and the nearby Indus River for water, but these wells, along with fortifications surrounding the settlement, hint that the city planners had a contingency plan in case the city were to come under some sort of siege. Other notable buildings have purposes shrouded in mystery but offer springboards for speculation about what the purpose of the settlement was. One large building in Mohenjo-Daro was originally thought to be an enormous granary with a massive wooden superstructure with air ducts to dry out the grain. But a lack of evidence to support this claim led to the building being called a Great Hall with an uncertain function. And near this Great Hall on the central mound lies a deep pool called the Great Bath, which is lined with bitumen. Uh, I think that's how you say that, bitumen which occurs naturally but can, be, can also be manufactured. This solution is often found in liquid form, but it can be dried, creating a hard, waterproof coating. Finding this material plastered on an obvious pool hints at an understanding of science that rewrote our understanding of history. This pool is approximately 39 feet long and 27 feet wide. It is, it's big. It's really big. Big enough to be called the Great Bath. Beneath the Great Bath is what is believed to be a furnace likely used to heat the water of the Great Bath. This bath to this day remains one of the only widely accepted source, sources of speculation that the inhabitants of the settlement were religious and as the bath could have been used for religious rites of some sort. Another significant structure has foundations that hint that there were pillars in its facade and it's believed to be an assembly hall of some sort. Another is called the College Hall, which is a complex that includes over 70 rooms thought to be a place to house the higher-ups of the settlement. As the archaeologists began looking at the bigger picture examining the layout of the settlement, they noticed that there seemed to be two distinct segments, one outlining the large central mount and the rest surrounding it. Buildings in the central mounds included the Great Bath, the Pillared Hall, and the College Hall, while the buildings outside of the central segment were primarily residences with small courtyards leading to alleyways and to larger streets. Scholars named the segment on the central mound the Citadel, and the rest of the settlement was called the Lower City. In the Citadel, as mentioned before, there were uh, larger buildings that seemed to have many smaller rooms that could be interpreted as apartments of some kind. In the lower levels, there were many smaller buildings that were widely believed to be family residences. This hints at a larger hierarchy within the community. Finally, what many consider to be the crowning jewels of the discovery of Mohenjo-Daro are the many artifacts found among the ruins. Many of these are copper tables engraved with carvings in the Indus language, which has not been deciphered as of the recording of this podcast. Intricate castings of jewelry, bowls, and figurines made of wax prove that the inhabitants had an understanding of a form of molding liquid wax using technology rather than their hands. Among these carvings have been found a famous carving called the Mother, the Mother Goddess Idol. Although it cannot be proven that this was a religious totem, it bears some resemblance to the female gods worshipped in the Near East in the years preceding the Common Era. Another totem found is called the Dancing Girl. The small figurine is just over four inches tall and it represents a girl in the pose of dancing, which experts believe to be a representative of a teenager. There is no visible clothing on the figurine, but there are bracelets running up one of her arms and an ornate necklace draped over her chest, standing with her right arm on her hip and her knees slightly bent. The statue is made out of bronze, which demonstrates the skill that the residents of Mohenjo-Daro had uh, in an understanding of metalwork centuries ahead of their time. 
Other artifacts found are, are another statue of a man with intricate facial detail and long, long hair slicked back and a seven-stranded necklace made of four feet of thread and over 200 bronze beads. So why is Mohenjo-Daro so important? Well, first, it provides us with some evidence of one of the oldest civilizations in world history. The Indus Valley Civilization constructed it around 2500 BC. But there is some evidence to suggest that it has been around for far longer than that. But if the civilization is so old, how did they have the knowledge they did? How did they have such an understanding of metalwork, of a hierarchical form of governance of some kind in a societal setting, and heated baths? The most fascinating part of Mohenjo-Daro is that it is steeped in mystery. The language has yet to be deciphered, and the purpose of the city remains an absolute mystery. Such a large settlement can scarcely be found that is as old as Mohenjo-Daro that is without some religious building. But in Mohenjo-Daro, no obvious building has been found. And the most mysterious part of the ruins is that there are virtually no clues to the reason that the site was eventually abandoned in the second millennium BC. It coincides with the overall decline of the civilization as a whole, but was the site abandoned in an organized fashion or did it slowly dwindle in population over time? Many of these questions remain to be answered. In 2015, an entertainment company hoping to build an amusement park near the site dug up even more ruins that seem to be connected to the main site, which proves that Mohenjo-Daro holds even more secrets than we initially thought. And the weirdest part? Some of the dust surrounding the settlement has been found to be radioactive. So what else lies under the sand across the world in the remote regions of the planet that we have yet to find? Is Mohenjo-Daro just the beginning? What more do we have to find to learn about our heritage as a human species? These are questions that I personally love to speculate on and will continue to do so. So, with that being said... Thanks for joining me today on Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. This is kind of a shorter episode today because I want to leave a little bit more to the imagination with Mohenjo-Daro. I want you guys to research it for yourself. Find out what you can about this civilization and maybe together we can all come up with the answers to the mysteries surrounding the civilization as a whole. So thank you again for joining me on Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. This is chapter four of the quarantine chapters. I'm going to continue dropping material over the course of this wild quarantine that we're going through. It's very likely that in the next five days or so, my entire state is going to go into complete lockdown. And that's going to make things a little bit more interesting for all of us. Um... In the meantime, if you enjoy the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop a five-star review. That really helps us get more people involved with the conversation about history and why understanding history is so important, particularly in the situation that the planet is in right now. Thank you all again. I couldn't do any of this without your support. And catch me next week. See you then.